Welcome again, Touch Heaven and those online. And we're in an interesting time, aren't we? Now, if you've got your fingers on the heartbeat of the kingdom and what's going on, then the anxiousness inside, the excitement should be starting to increase. Now, there's all kind of messages out there, right? Lots of messages. We're, we're a body of Christ that can just about find any message we want on any subject, anywhere, almost any time, right? Especially social media, YouTube. And we have specialists involved all over uh, in, the, in the body of Christ that have their message, their, their specific message. And if you want to turn to that, you go find that. And we get inundated with it, don't we? Almost so much that we begin to maybe lose the flavor of the time. Let's ask the Lord to lead and guide us as we continue on in this little journey about the message of crossing over a threshold of what? Father, we thank you, Lord, for wisdom. We thank you, Father, for discernment in this hour, in this time. We thank you, Father, that we take to our full heart what you mean when you say, watch. Watch, Lord. That, Father, we don't just become spectators, that we become activists in the kingdom of what you've called us to do. Even so now, as we sense, we sense that season of your kingdom fig tree beginning to blossom and open up. As we discern the times and see where we live and realize who we are, help us, Father, to become serious, committed, informed. Help us, Lord, to prepare. And most of all, I ask you this morning, Father, to let the words flow from you above and allow me, Lord, to speak what is truth based on strong scripture, foundation of the living word of Christ. Thank you, Father, for something that's fresh and new, yet is age-old prophetic. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not going to do an overview of the last few weeks. I'd encourage you to listen to a prophetic word that came off during the worship uh, from the piano while I was there. As I listened to it last week, again, it was about 26 minutes long, and I myself was a little bit shaken by it when I realized the time and the threshold that we're crossing over into. It goes all the way back to, really, the garden and then further with the minor prophets, the major prophets, Jesus himself, about a time when there would be a second coming, and that second coming would be the one to establish his kingdom here on earth. And Jesus, in teaching us to pray, he sort of set the tone for that because he even told us to let thy kingdom come here on earth even as it is in heaven. And how many of you know that We've been getting slivers of that since the beginning of the church when Jesus established his disciples and left and gave the Great Commission and the outpouring of the, of the apostolic chapters and messages and the Pauline epistles, etc. It's not that we don't have an opportunity to live in the fullness of Christ here on earth, but the fullness of the kingdom hasn't come. And little slivers have been pouring out for a while. And there's been a stirring going on for a while, but things are really, really stirring up. Pieces are getting in places for the Lord to do what he said would, he would do, but more so for us to be able to discern the times. You've heard me say multiple times, again, that we live in a glorious time. If you're alive and breathing today, then you've been called. You've been called for such a time as this, haven't you? Your, your life isn't random. You weren't just randomly inserted into the span of history of humanity to just come and go and not have any function, any purpose, any call. And this call really relies on unity. It really relies on understanding whose mission it is 
and what our call is about. And yes, there are the multiple offices in the body of Christ. They're active and they're working and there are people that fill those five-fold offices. But in that instance, what we need to understand is that we need to be sensitive to the time that we live in and begin to really seek what it is we are to do. Only you manage your time. Only you do. You could say, oh, this, this, and this. I'm one who's very busy, but I manage my time. I can say yes, I can say no, I can function, I can stretch the hours, right, to a longer day. I can forego some things on Saturday to stay in the Word. I can forget about golf on Sunday to be in the church to some people. I forgot about golf a long time ago, and they forgot about me too. We make choices. We're only given so much time here on this earth to do what we're supposed to do. But that time can be very effective. But we live in a very, very prophetically serious time. So I want to build upon that somewhat today as I spoke before, as we laid out and we received the Lord telling us that there was a new threshold that we've been crossing over, we've been putting our tiptoes into it, but now it's going to begin to move a little bit stronger, a little bit more expedient. And that threshold is to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Now, I've had that mandate, that call since February of 1980, when I came to the realization that Yeshua, Hamashiach, or even Jesus Christ the Lord, is God. I didn't know that. I mean, I'd heard that, and in my studies in the university with a major in philosophy, a minor in religion, a minor in political science, I was exposed to all that stuff, and as a young boy, I was exposed somewhat to all different sides of it, but I didn't know that, just like you had to come to a realization of that, right? It's one thing to, 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 to have knowledge, it's another thing to know, but from that moment on, when I heard and received the call, he spoke to me very clearly. There would be a day when my entire mission would be to just prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And I remember once a a man that I loved dearly and that was mentoring me as I served him, he, he, he got a little frustrated with me because I wouldn't buy into what his call was. And the others around him, you know, followed like little chickies to whatever he was doing, and I said, I said, I love you, and I call him in, in that term of endearment in the Hispanic community, Poppy. I said, I love you, Poppy, but that's not my calling. He said, this, prepare the way. How are you preparing the way? How are you gonna prepare the way? And I said, well, for me right now, and that was back some years ago, I said, I feel sort of like Noah where the Lord just said, start building the boat, but I didn't have any idea when and how and when the waters would flood and come up. I said, I'm in a, in a Noah response. He didn't like that because basically I wouldn't get moved from the call, and I'm still not moved from the call, but now the call is beginning to blossom. The fig trees are receiving flowers. And it's not for me, it's for all of us. And so there's a different message to the body of Christ than there was 10 or 20 years ago. It's always the same. Jesus is the way. He's the Savior. He's the only way. He's he's the ultimate, right? It's, It's the same Jesus, but it's a different time. It's another season now where we're called to prepare the way. And as things were, they're not really the same in every regard or they're what they're going to be. So those who are really ready to step in and step out. We're a peculiar breed of people because yes, we're occupying in the space and time we're in, but we're actually serving what is going to be. And what is going to be is already beginning, right? It's, it's, the, it's the ultimate faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of which is unseen. It's the ultimate faith to believe that Jesus is going to return. It's the ultimate faith to believe that Jesus can and I believe shall return in many of your lifetimes. It's the ultimate faith to believe that having children in this span 
is really giving birth to kingdom children. You know, AI is coming down, and isn't it interesting that just a month ago, somebody was bold enough to say that they've created a system, a group of computerized intelligence that is seeking to be like God. Isn't that interesting? We already know that they've come to the point that they can take your voice and duplicate it to even fool other people. Interesting that we've seen the last couple weeks that somebody created this, this perfect 10, supposedly, of a woman who's Swedish and blonde-haired and blue eyes and perfectly sculpted, and she's not real. And all kind of people are signing up to get to know her, even though in the little words it says, I'm not real, I'm AI. Because people would rather believe a delusion than the truth. And that's what we're seeing. If you have, have you worked with anybody that's young right now? I'm talking young, you know, teens, young, young womenhood, young manhood. A lot, a lot of them, because as I work with them, I realize they don't even know what to call a tool. Get me a flathead screwdriver, huh? Get a pliers. Is that a thing that goes like this? Open the gas can, turning it the wrong way. I say, oh my God. But sit down on the computer. <laughs> or get on social media and they'll tell you who the stars are on social media. Where's that getting people? It caused a riot in New York this week. As a bunch of young people followed this cursing, foul-mouthed young guy who promised them PlayStations if they showed up. So they just blasted into cars and smashed up stores and caused a ruckus in Union Square in New York City because of the power of this young heathen, heathen, who has, what, 12, 16 million followers, it said, and showed up there to get something free, a PlayStation. Since they couldn't get the PlayStation, they just wreaked hell on everything else around their area. You see, we live in a very peculiar time, don't we? We have multiple powers that are creating weapons of war that are beyond other weapons of war. We all know that. Nation against nation, war against war. Fear, hearts failing for fear all over the place. People afraid to go to bed at night because of home invasions and people just storming their neighborhoods that they once thought were secure and they're no longer secure. Cars where you come out in the morning and your catalytic converter's gone. Somebody gets underneath it and cuts it in a matter of a minute and goes and sells it for pieces. Lack of respect and morality and society running rampant all over the place. Governments toppling and in confusion and being tried and and money being spent on both sides of, actually there's not even two sides, it's multiple sides. Some people don't even know what the side it is that they're promoting and supporting. It just sounds right for the moment in time, doesn't it? A delusion in the earth. Intelligence, knowledge increasing exponentially like he said it would. Famines, earthquakes. Pestilence, rampant, running. How many more signs do we need to realize the time that we're in? And the greatest sign of all, the greatest sign of all, the first positive sign of all is Israel regathered like he said he would in Isaiah 43. He said, I'll call you back in righteousness. I'll call you from the east, the west, the north, the south. I'll plant you back in the land. No one will ever move you again. And that happened. He said a, a nation through his prophet would be born in a day. That happened. May 6th, 1948, it was proclaimed, but it was several months beforehand when it was done. And the only time that the whole world was unanimous in the United Nations for Israel that declared they'd have their little sliver of land as everybody was ashamed and horrified as the truth of the Holocaust came out. 
And many were discovered for doing nothing when they had knowledge and could do something. But that happened. And we discussed and we went through this stuff in, in Matthew and in Luke and Luke 21 and through last week. And we went through the signs and we understood that Romans 11.25 is coming alive, that blindness in part, don't be ignorant of this, of this, of this mystery unless you're wise and conceited in yourself that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in and, and then all Israel shall be saved and the deliverer shall come from Zion. And Jerusalem is no longer a two-part city even though they're trying to make it one again. And we understand that one of his names is the God of Israel and that's the only people and the only nation that he chose and said, I'm your God. We discussed how this country was wise enough to choose him as our God. But at the same time now, this country's divided in serving our God or even obeying him or having fear of the Lord. No other country in all the earth. God said, I'm your God. Only to Israel. Only to Israel. Think about that. And his promises will stay the same. So we see the times. I'm giving you this overview because I want you to understand that, that this just isn't a message. I had somebody tell me how, how thrilled they were to hear a message a week or two ago about, you know, the, the, the condition of this country. <laughs> okay. The condition of this country, I can, you know, sum it up for you in one word. Sick. Sick. I mean, if somebody is in the Lord and they need someone to list for them what all the problems are in the country, then what can I say to you? The country's sick. And the only hope for not only this country but the world is the kingdom. And part of this is so that those of us who are alive and breathing today who say we love Christ and will follow the Lord, that we take our eyes and realize we are first and all citizens of the kingdom. Ours is a kingdom call, it's a kingdom message. The kingdom may or may not solve the chaos for this country. Now I've read it all, I've seen it all, I've looked for the scriptures. Peter Williams, who's a friend of mine, wrote the book about this great nation in the Bible, and I've talked it over with him, and yes, there's the eagle, there's the stuff, but with all truth, the plight of this country isn't defined specifically by a name in the Bible. It's defined by obedience to God in the Bible for everybody. That's what defines it. You can't be disobedient to God and expect the promises of God that he said would last upon Israel forever just because we had God as our God at one point. He didn't make that covenant with us. He made it with Israel. We have to live that covenant with him to get those promises and to live in them. So, having said that, I want to go a little bit further into this. While I'm doing that, and, and Keith, if you'd pull up 2 Kings chapter 3, then you can get ready. The graph we did last week on what the message was that went out on the e-blast. Chipping, hanging, digging, linen, we'll deal with that in a little bit. The reason I'm going to 2 Kings chapter 3 is because it has a, a lot of parallels with where we're at in the kingdom and how we can look at things and understand it. And some of it is, is very promising and will make you feel good. And some of it you'll say, uh-oh, and hopefully we'll make corrections. But 2 Kings chapter 3, if we shall, starting in verse 1. Now, Jehoram, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel and Samaria, the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. little background. He didn't come from a very good family line. Ahab, his father, Jezebel, oh my, mama. He came from a, a, a dynasty that had thrown God out and lifted up Baal. Sound familiar? It had made 
conscious decisions not to teach their children anymore about God, but instead to teach them about those gods of the comfort of that life, that time. A culture assimilating itself into the heathen. A culture that was finding the comfort with the heathen. A culture that decided to exclude God for a couple reasons. One, because it was convenient, and two, because it caused agitation in the way the system was working at the time. You might have called that, at that time, an Ahab wokeness. Hmm? <laughs> Some of you are giggling, but boom, I hit a target, didn't I? Bullseye. You see, the devil isn't doing new things. He's regurgitating old things to be able to form to the new time. And people that don't know their God or choose not to walk with God, they're very susceptible to be used. And all of a sudden it becomes a rallying cry and if one says it, it's okay. Two says it, well, maybe. 10 says it, it's fine. We are told that there's this big significant gay, homosexual, lesbian, genderized community in this country, but when we add up the numbers, they're not very many people. But yet they're controlling the entire path of the morality of our country right now. And when you stand up against it, you're somebody who's intolerant. You're the enemy. You're wrong. You don't love people. And boy, do they like to attack Christians. You say love. Hmm? Do we have the right answer? Let's seek it. So this was nothing new. Jehoram was a spoiled young man who had had everything he wanted. And all of a sudden, he becomes king. King of Judah. Next verse. And he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord. Huh but not like his father. Interesting, interesting. And like his mother, he wasn't really like Ahab and Jezebel. He, he, he probably got a little disgusted watching some of the things they did. And he probably didn't want to have the same conclusion they had. <laughs> they were wiped out. So he backed off a little bit. Listen to how this goes. Not like his father and like his mother, for he put away the image of Baal that his father had made. He put away the image of Baal that his father had made. And so in his mind, God owed him something. But yet it says here, and boy, could we relate this. Nevertheless, he cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. He still held on to the sins. The sins were still cleaving to him. He hadn't repented. He hadn't transformed. He hadn't begun to walk with God. He just gave the appearance of godliness. Let's go to 2 Timothy for a moment, please. Chapter 3, verse 5. I'm going to take my time. We're not going to get through what I have, but it's okay. It's more important to lay this out properly. And for something that, if you will, or you will, or whoever shall, whenever, hopefully you'll fall back on it. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power from such people turn away. Ooh. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power from such people turn away. I shared with you a little excerpt on the screen about a month ago of the Archbishop, the Episcopalian Archbishop of London, who came to the conclusion that we should not refer to God the Father anymore because that's insulting to some. And that we really don't know if the Father's in the image of the Father. From such, 
turn away and you heard me say publicly, turn away from him. He might have a form of godliness, but he's not walking God. If he doesn't know God the Father, he should not be preaching, period. And we pray for his soul, but the problem is to whom much is given, much is expected, and he's got many souls in his hands. It's a woeful place to go. Lord, Lord, I preached. Oh, I don't know you. Lord, Lord, I healed. I don't know you. Lord, Lord, I don't know you. Turn away off to my left side. A form of godliness, but denying its power. That was this king. Back to 2 Kings. That was him. He was trying to have a form of godliness, but he didn't want to let go of things. Beloved, we call our country sick, but the bride of Christ is anemic. The bride of Christ needs a blood transfusion. The bride of Christ needs a change of a wedding gown. The bride of Christ isn't walking in fine linen that's spotless and wrinkle-free. The bride of Christ has exchanged the linen of righteousness for the linen of comfort. The bride of Christ is not ready for the return of the Lord. It seems like too much of a challenge to us. And I say us because I believe if you're here, there's, there's a reason why you're here. You could go anywhere. I see people come and go. <laughs> I've, I had a church of thousands. I made a choice not to because this is where he sent me. I've preached in front of 100,000 or more at a time. I've had the miracles. I've had the sensations. I've been on worldwide television. I've seen all of that. If you're here, you're not here just because you had nowhere else to go this morning. You're here because you're here to hear this. And I have the Holy Spirit all over me. And maybe you do too. I've been praying this way recently, Lord. I'm not going to create my own path. I'm not going to use tools that are accessible and available to me to promote a ministry or a message or myself. It's got to be by you, Father, because I'll mess it up. This is too important. It's too holy. This movement that's beginning, you heard what he said, the prophetic word. No man should or will put a name on it. For it's me, it's too holy. All I can call it is prepare the way. Some will put names on things as they go. This movement, that movement, that movement, this movement. This is different. This is different. This is holy. This is being entrusted with the most precious treasures and gifts of God at a serious time when the balance of the body of Christ is in question. Now we know in the book of Revelation there'll be Millions. I don't know how many of people at the throne of God, but when you consider how many have been born and died throughout the beginning of history, it's maybe not as much as we think. And it doesn't mean it's a slam dunk that you win. This is a time when some in high school are trying out for sports and you have your varsity and your juniors and people get cut. And it's harsh. It's the same way in the body of Christ. There's going to be a cutting away, and it's starting now. And just like Daniel said in that day to great people, great men, but we understand it's species man, men and women, of understanding will fall that it might purge them. Of understanding. That takes away the excuse, doesn't it? Lord, I didn't know. No, 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 no. You know you choose different. Great people of understanding falling away to just save their soul. I've seen in the, in the last few years, several years especially, a couple people that I know that the Lord took home suddenly. One or two of them I had prophesied to. They didn't like my word. I didn't like giving them that word. It was that if you don't change your ways and 
use what God has given you for the purpose of God, you're going to become insignificant and you will leave this earth. God's taken away the insignificant people that have a sphere of influence that leads the sheep the wrong way. And we're going to see more of it. I don't wish it upon them. I don't wish it upon me. I fear God. I pray every day, Lord, don't let me lead one astray the wrong way, please, Father. Don't let me do that. I have people reaching out to me all the time because they've heard or read or seen or, and, and, and they, they think they could somehow motivate me to, to, to do something like a show for them or their church or their network. And I run from those things as we all should. We're talking about the souls of the kingdom of God. We're not talking about product. We're not talking about social media numbers. The God I know, He starts out with very small beginnings, doesn't He? He takes somebody in you or me, and, and He takes someone who has a heart to first of all fear God and secondly to lay it all aside and maybe because we're not as equipped as others. I don't know why, but I've seen so many gifts of people become their curse. I've seen people with healing ministries turn into a brand, a business, a number. I've cried with my wife as I saw a man in Mexico in front of 100,000 people tell him to come the next day. He had a word for them and bring your best gift for the Lord. People gave their watches. They were poor people. They gave whatever they had, their shoes, their phones. And his word was, the Lord loves you. <laughs> that was the last time I went out to something like that. I've turned it down ever since. You see, I was getting sick about the business of ministry, but that made me toxic. I couldn't stand it anymore. I couldn't turn my face at it. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 1 a moment, please. I'm nothing. But I can tell you these are the tears of Jesus. That's how he's feeling right now about his church. He's crying. He's sad. Isaiah 40, verse 1. This is part of our message to prepare the way. Yes, it's to Israel, but now those of us, those of us who have have been brought into that tree, grafted. We have that right. We have that promise. With wisdom, understanding there's promises to the land and promises to the specific people, but there's promises to the body and the daughters and sons of the Lord God of Israel. And that's you and me. He says, comfort ye. Comfort ye, my people, says your God. This is a prophetic moment, a prophetic verse. This didn't make sense until 1948, and it doesn't make sense to the body of Christ until now. You see, prophecies of God, they're timeless. We don't have to define them by one moment. There are times there's a moment. Jesus said that Jerusalem would be totally destroyed. Not one stone would be left unturned. That had a moment. That had a moment. But this is timeless. This is him talking both to Israel and his, his, his people, his chosen people, and this is him talking to the body of Christ. And the two are to merge and become a bride. It always, always, always confounds me how the body of Christ doesn't understand that the Lord's not coming back for two brides. Hosea cried out, who wrote you? A decree of divorce, not me. The Lord hasn't divorced himself from Israel. He's just a God who's been tolerating adultery, fornication, 
disobedience, rejection, because he made a covenant. Jesus came as a Jew, Jesus went home as a Jew. Jesus is coming back again as a Jew. Huh. Yes, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, but he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He could be anything and anyone he wants to. To me, that opens my eyes. Very interesting. He's coming back to Jerusalem, the apple of his eye, the city of God, the only city he's claimed in all of this earth that he owns. But this message, this, this leaps that, this crosses the threshold. This comes to the threshold of you and I, the righteous that are called. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, says your God. We are called to comfort his people. Those that call themselves by his name. Beloved, we need to be equipped to do that. You don't comfort a child who is throwing a tantrum by just giving them what they want. You comfort that child by allowing that child to understand there's some games and rules and guardrails and at the same time with love and patience, you finally get them to a place where they begin to understand and conform to it. And the same with some of you restless stallions and you wild women, <laughs> not here. We needed to be tamed. Huh? Comfort you, comfort you, my people. To do that, we first of all have to be walking in fine linen. And the linen is the righteousness of the saints. We can't do it. Every kind. This is a universal law shown to us from the beginning of Genesis when God began to create everything everything, every class of everything, every species of everything, up to, up to humanity, the image of God. Every kind brings forth its own kind. That's a spiritual law. We can't bring forth people into righteousness unless we're righteousness. And yes, we can say, I'm the righteousness of God. He was made sin who knew no sin that I might be made the righteousness of God. But we could still cling onto the old sins. And what does that make us? Idolaters. No God, accept the blessings of God, but choose to cling to the old sins. Pastor, you don't understand. You know how many times I've heard that. Pastor, but you know, I, I have that at work and you know, I have it at school and I'm a university professor and I got to be careful in politics oh you got to be careful you could swing the pendulum we could go on and on but where the line really gets drawn is with the women and men of God especially those who've been entrusted into the offices of the kingdom of God woe is God help us so we need an anointing we need to walk in righteousness, and we need an anointing to be those who can comfort. We can't do it in our own words. You've heard me say many times that the demons and devils, they love secular counseling. counseling. Oh yeah, I've had people in the church tell me I'm, I'm going to a, a secular therapist. Well, what are you getting out of that? They love to sit down and be counseled. You got repeat and repeat on both sides of the person being canceled and they're all nodding and saying yes and they walk out the door and the same old same old clings on and Pete and repeat the demons and the person get counseled and nothing changes because there's no righteousness and no power and worst of all no fear of the Lord you can't comfort anybody into the Lord unless you fear the Lord you can't fear the Lord if you're not practicing holiness. I tell people all the time, don't, don't ever tell anybody you're a sinner too. Don't do that. Don't confess you're a sinner. Get right if you are. John 1, 9, just eat it, take it, thank them, repent it, walk straight. 
You're either the righteousness of God in Christ or you're not. You can't be a sinner in the righteousness of God in Christ. He was made sin who knew no sin that you might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. For us to comfort anybody, we need to put our feet down while we're walking to prepare the way and know that we know that we know that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. And it might mean you gotta sling some crap off. You don't like that word too bad. I don't really wanna speak King's English and say dung. It's the same word. Dung, I, I say dung to some people. They go, oh, dung, who's that? Is that a hip hop artist? but we all know what the other word means. I'm laughing because an apostle I served with and built up the English church, he was learning to speak English and he would take some of the services over in English with my help and we were guiding as he went through and one day he threw out another four letter word for dung and we got back and I said, uh, Poppy, uh, not that one. He said, I heard you say crap. I said, there's a difference. I said, maybe, maybe, you're, maybe, maybe you're tuning me up, I'll get better. I said, but don't use that one. Oh, okay. And so next verse, look what happens. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her. That's why in the Psalms, we love that scripture, you know, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, right? Those who love her shall prosper. Oh, I don't know how many do or don't pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I happen to live in a world where I do all the time because I have people there. We have people there, good friends there, very much interested and involved in what's happening in the country and in the military. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her crying out to her. You know, you could go stand in front of the wall in Jerusalem and yell along with a bunch of Orthodox Jews that are also yelling and nobody knows what everybody's saying. Been there and done that, right? No, he's talking about in our spirit interceding. Prophetically shooting forward to the time when Christ comes back, pointing to the warfare being accomplished. The warfare there will not be accomplished until the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, walks down out of the Mount Zion and takes his place there. Unfortunate. That her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned. That's a message to the body of Christ. It doesn't mean that the body of Christ and members in Christ can just keep on sinning at will and not changing and repenting and allowing the sin to still be clinging to the flesh. Doesn't mean that. It means that we show there's another way. Your iniquity can be pardoned. It's already been done. If only you will receive him and walk in him. But remember something now. My people, my people, believers, Prophetically, it's to those who are already calling themselves people of God and it's to those who shall. Those who are called and they're gonna find their way and we're to help them. We're to be the light. We're gonna be, we're supposed to be the lamp on the path that makes straight a highway in the desert for people to find their God and to receive and prepare the way. Tell them, their sins are pardoned. And for Israel, again, separate and understand the call. She has received from the Lord's double for all her sins. We love to relish the promises of God to the Jews and to Israel, but we don't like that part. Which one of you would like to be able to boast, I got double for my sins from the Lord? You're a fool if you do. We like to say, no matter what it is, the thief on the cross, 
the murderer, the rapist. We could go on and on and disgust ourselves. Whomsoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We like that. But there's only one people I know that he covenanted with to pay double for their sins. My prayer is that that price has been paid. I sat in a prophetic council in Israel some years back and one of the speakers came to me and they said, Frank, what do you think about the day of Jacob's trouble? Is it coming? And I looked at him and I said, sir, did you lose anybody in the Holocaust? Any of your bloodline, your family line go there? No. He was a Dutchman. So our family escaped Lithuania. Only a thousand Jews got out of the Lithuanian Holocaust. My grandmother's name Sack Isaacs. I said, go to the Holocaust Museum and see the Sacks and the Isaacs. I did. I cried. I said, I pray to God there's not another day of Jacob's trouble. I pray that was the one. How could there be something more horrible than that? Next verse. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Go through the mountain. Don't go around it. Go through it. Make straight away. We have a mountain of work to do for the body of Christ now. The body of Christ is sick, disillusioned. Leaders are leading the sheep astray. There's a message coming out by so many of them that they have the worldwide message to bring to everybody using the Falcon Club. How many of you watched the Southwest Conference recently? My wife came in distraught. I won't name the people that were there. You'll know them. Look it up. One of them, whom you saw in Pittsburgh, gloated in arrogance that five of them there belong to the Falcon Club. You know what that is? A big jet. It's a $50 million jet. And he said they're believing God for the new Falcon 10. That's $75 million. Yeah, they each have one. She said, Frank, this is what you were talking about. I said, yeah. It's getting even worse. Where's it? The sheep are supposed to believe that if they buy that message, they're going to get a falcon, let alone need one. As far as I'm concerned, that man should not be allowed to go around the world to preach that message. Go to Africa and preach that message. See where that gets you. Go to Haiti. Go to India. Go to Israel. Go to a Jew who thinks the whole thing about Christianity is, is about somehow fleecing our pockets. This just happened all day long. People you would know, Google it. You think I'm leading you the wrong way? Google it. And then vomit. Get yourself a bag to vomit into. Get sick. And whatever you do, don't support them. You don't want what they have because whatever they're giving comes with slime. And you eat the good and you get the slime. And you say, well, I can, had one person tell me I can eat the meat and spit out the bones. Really? I've seen people choke to death on bones. Spiritual Heimlich isn't the way we want to live. That's a message, isn't it? It's not going to make me real popular. I'm not going to get invited to that Southwest Conference. I don't want to go. And if they did put me up there, guess what my message would be?
told you I was finally accepted an invitation. <laughs> I'm going to a Spanish church. That's what the Lord sent me to. Humble people. Crying out. We've said all the right things. And the Lord said, go. And they sent me these papers to sign. And my 1099. I, I let my wife said, Frank, they, 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 it's, what's your message about? They want to know how to give you an honorarium. Tell them they can't buy me. Tell them they may not want to give it to me after I'm there. How much time do you want? Tell them I don't know. Tell them I may not even get up and preach. If I don't like it, I might leave. What? It's time for leadership in the body of Christ to become just like Jesus. So, I don't expect this church in Canfield, Ohio to grow to two or 3,000 people unless the God starts doing something. They come from, that never was my expectation. And I can expect that some people prefer to go somewhere else and get their ears itched. There's all kind of ear itching going along all over the place. You can get your ears itched all you want. But this I know. This I know. We've crossed that threshold and we are now to make a desert in the highway. Using whatever God has given us and what it is. I'm going to give you a prelude to what's coming and I'm going to quit. I fed you a lot. We didn't get far into Kings, did we? But we will, Lord willing. What does chipping away ice? Do we have that uh, graphic? This is the e-blast I sent you. I'm not gonna teach it all. I'm just gonna give you some more hints so you go find it yourself. What does chipping away ice have to do? There are several churches that have candlelights. Candles burning in the book of Revelation. And each one of them can have somewhat of a, of a relevance to today, but the one that jumps out is the church of Laodicea. And as the body of Christ is growing and grew, it's measured by a thermostat. Hot, lukewarm, cold. Look at that for chipping away ice. Consider what happens with a sculptured, beautifully sculptured piece of ice art. What happens in 12 hours to that ice art? And what happens when the temperature turns up to 30 degrees or 31? The next one, hanging wallpaper. How many of you have ever hung wallpaper? Right. How many of you ever hung it wrong? I'm terrible at it. How many of you wish you knew what you learned to know after you hung it wrong? You gotta size the wall, you gotta prime it. Next, digging ditches, we'll get to it. And that's part of what we're supposed to be doing now. We'll get to it. And a fine linen, Revelation 19, clothed in fine linen, which is the righteousness of the saints. Oh, I wish I could talk about linen right now, about the flax plant, and we'll get to it. Some of you are going to be shocked and surprised that the stuff you're eating is what it is. Flax cultivation. Why is linen so precious? Why did God choose linen out of all the fabrics? Why not polyester? <laughs> Go back to the to the uh, graphic, please. Keith. What do these have to do with the prophetic insight? We're crossing over the threshold. The ditches. We'll get to it. Second Kings 3.16. Thus says the Lord, make this valley 
full of ditches. Do you think there's any accidents in the Lord? Do you think your life is so random that you just happen to appear in the places randomly that you just appear in? Do you know where we are at physically right now? It's called the valley. Hello. It's called the valley. Miami can't call that. New York can't call that. Colorado can't call that. On top of the mountain, six miles high, Denver. You're in the valley. You're here for a reason. And we're going to start digging ditches. And when we do, watch what happens. We're getting ready. That's where this is going. We came to the place of next. We took a whole bunch of people with us, didn't we? The whole world came right off of this stage. I don't care. I'm not being arrogant. I'm being truthful. I said the Lord would put a pause on the earth, and he did. Happened to call it COVID. And then he said at that place of next, it would be a place where I would give you provision. Well, guess what? We're about ready to prepare for the provision. And the provision is for the journey. We don't want a circuitous route. We want straight. Make straight in the desert a highway for my God. Straight. Ditches in the valley. You see, I need stuff like that. <laughs> I need to know that a decision my wife and I made 11 years ago to come to this torn down, broken down, roof festered, destroyed building. The Lord said, rebuild it. And, 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 and to just wrestle and wrestle and wrestle till I finally learned rest in this place like I had before I left. I need to hear once in a while from the Lord. You're in the place where I've put you. Watch what I will do. And guess what? Small is better than big. Small is better than big. And the more we decrease, the more he increases. Okay, we got a lot to cover. If you want to hang with me for the next few weeks, we're going to lay it out and continue to lay it out. And I encourage you to call up the YouTubes. If you missed it, go get it. And I'm going to announce something. The Lord's been putting it on my heart. I'm going to begin here, mentoring and teaching with a small group, not people that aren't committed. Forgive me if you're not committed. You say, well, pastor, I can't be there. I got this. I got that. I understand that. You do what you want. You can get a tape. But I'm going to begin shortly. And the Lord told me, a discipling. And it's called to prepare the way discipling. And it's become a format. It's part of what he's told me to do that can be used and sent out for those who want and those who will. Prepare the way discipling. Pastor, you're sounding tough. Yes, I am. I'm serious about it. And I really only want to impart into people who are serious about it. I don't care if it's one or two or three. I don't. And you say, man, that sounds tough. It's what the Lord put in my heart. Remember when the 70 said to Jesus, he said, you must drink my blood and eat my flesh. And Oh, Lord, that message is too hard for us. And they departed. Never heard about him again. I don't know what they did or didn't do or could have done or should have done, but he was testing to see who were the ones that were going to walk the hard road with him. Who were the ones that were going to exchange some things in their lives to get serious? You see, I'm fool enough to believe that whatever we put on the altar for God to get serious with him, he'll make it easier and double it. I believe that with all my heart. I walk that way. So I'm just sort of force feeding you. I'm giving you an inkling. It's coming. Why am I telling you now? Because I want you to pray. I want you to really be serious. If, you're, if you say, that's me, I want to be part of that, then I'm encouraging you to pray and ask the Lord to open your eyes, open your ears, and stir your spirit and count the cost. Some of you are going to have to let go of a few things. All I can ask you to do is weigh that out against the eternal, 
measure of God's call? Do we really want to get to him and say, I couldn't do that because I chose to do this? Not me. So pray. Pray if you want to be part. I don't know. You say, Pastor, what day? And how? I don't know any of that yet. I just know the Lord put it on my heart and I've been saying, okay, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it birth and seed today. We're going to begin to water it. I don't know when. It's soon. And I don't know what the perfect day is for everybody. I can't be moved by that. Sorry. And I don't know what's the imperfect day for everybody. Sorry, I can't be moved by that. We'll create the tapes. We'll create the videos. And yes, I want it to be shared and spent. But I'm going to be putting my hands on those that come. And I'm not really into putting your hands on a television screen to get imparted by hands. Not my thing. Okay.